Hello, hello, and welcome back to Virtually Legal. It's Abby here. And it's Molly. And today we're going to be discussing mental health. We're going to discuss things from burnout to perfectionism to the transition from university to the big wide world. And we hope it's very useful because it's something we all need to discuss more and talk about. Today we have a guest called Leah Still. She has founded Searching for Serenity and I'm going to pass over to her to introduce herself. Hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> good. Yeah, good, thanks. Good. good, I'm excited about this episode actually. Me too, but then I talk about this all the time, so I'm kind of a nerd about mental health and things like that, aren't I? So thank you so much for having me on guys, I appreciate it. No, thank you for coming on, we couldn't do this episode without you. Oh. No, like Abby and I love to talk out of our asses, but we felt like this was one <laughs> thing maybe we should talk about with a professional. <laughs> <laughs> we can't, yeah, bleep bleep it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really tricky one and I think this is a conversation that even the time that um, from the time that I was a lawyer to now um, which is actually a really fairly short period of time four years or so the conversation has changed so much and it will continue to change but it's only by having conversations by people like you actually amplifying this that we can have these conversations and we can make these changes so thank you Perfect. So just for the benefit of our guests, are you able to explain a little bit about your journey up until this point and the kind of work that you're doing at the moment? <laughs> Let's give the very clean and quick version, shall we? Um, so essentially, my background is I was a lawyer. I um, originally did my degree and my postgraduate degree um, on what's now the, I think, the BPTC, but was then the Bar Vocational Course. Um, I was called to the Bar of England and Wales in 2007 and I had a fairly bumpy transition from study to work, which obviously we'll talk about a bit more in a minute. But essentially I worked my way up and cross-qualified to become a solicitor in 2012. I specialised in mental capacity and litigation, but really kind of struggled with it. And I experienced my own issues with perfectionism, with overwhelm and burnout. And after a real crunch point in 2014, 2015, decided that it couldn't be the case that people who loved their jobs and worked really hard were just bound to burn out and that was it. You had to just, you know, leave, exit stage left, sorry, you can't hack it. So instead mm. I started researching burnout and that's what gave birth to this whole business I have now, Searching for Serenity. So I work with individuals and with companies, including law firms. They are listening. <laughs> um, they do care. <laughs> they do care particularly because burnout affects your productivity and your profitability. Yeah. So, let you know, let's not um, focus too much on that. But it does mean that I'm getting to have the conversation on both sides of the fence with individuals and with businesses and companies to say, how can we make work more accessible? How can we make it so that people can thrive at work? What are the danger signs with burnout? So basically, so that people don't have to hit rock bottom the way that I did five years ago. Yeah, I can imagine particularly coming out of university life and then transitioning into definitely being a solicitor. I mean, I couldn't really talk about doing the bar and what that's like, but I imagine mm -hmm. the hours are kind of equally as manic that you go from kind of really being able to like dictate your own timetable, mm. um, set your own boundaries and things like that to suddenly catapulted into this world of potentially very long hours and a feeling of perhaps not being able to say no to what you're told to do because definitely early on in your career there's 
there's you feel a need to prove yourself a lot Mm. um so I can definitely see that you would never want to say no but that in the long term could have quite negative repercussions it does absolutely yeah and I just think with obviously myself at uni you have that sort of relief of your social life living with your friends but sometimes when you go back into the work life lots of people and lots of students have to move back back home for economic reasons and then Mm. commute to work it's just a very different environment plus the long hours that if you sign up to being a solicitor you expect but it doesn't mean you should expect and do it at the like the gravity of yourself or your own mental health so. Yeah, there, there's definitely this thing of we we go into this eyes wide open. We know it's going to be hard work. We know there's going to be long hours. We're up for that. But we don't necessarily anticipate the effect it's going to have on us. And also, when you are at university, when you are studying, you're used to this sprint stop mentality. You push hard, you get through exams, you crash, and then you're back up again. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we tend to take that into the world of work, except you don't get sprint and stop. Because it's every day. So we're sprinting. <laughs> um, we're just sprinting and then wondering why we're so bloody exhausted all the time and struggling. Um, and this is one of the things that I find is we, I think we're so used and we're so conditioned. You think from the age of what, six, seven, you start having tests, you start having, you know, Richmond tests, SATs tests, all these things. We're into this behaviour that at 22, we can't just drop that. It's conditioned. And that yeah. means that we're used to performing, 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 break. And then all of a sudden, it's like the landscape just stretches out in front of us. You leave university, you start work, whether you're going to go back, whether you're going to switch area, whatever it is. And it suddenly stretches out. There are no natural pause pauses in that. And when we go on holiday, we don't just want to collapse for a week. We want to be able to enjoy our lives. So it's an adjustment to the way that we approach our work, but also how we approach our um, inbuilt system of this is what it means to do good work. This is how I know I've achieved. Yeah. When I was at school, actually, something, I mean, at the time I thought it was rubbish, but now I can see the benefit in what they were saying. Um, but my head teacher used to talk about not planting your happiness flag, which is basically the the idea of not going, oh, I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied when this happens. Um, and it sounds really cliched and silly, but it's about trying to just like find happiness in your everyday because particularly when you're someone that likes to be achieving, once you've reached that milestone, you'll where's literally the sit there for half an hour, yeah, look around and think, where's the next one? Where's my next like buzz coming from? It's not maintainable, and usually we actually do that about 20 yards before we hit the goal anyway. Um, yes. Once we know it's in the bag, it's like, oh, what's next? What's, on, what's yeah. on the horizon? What can I sprint to next? Because we're used to the sprint, validation, repeat process. Um, and it is a case of creating... Oh, it sounds so crummy, I know, but creating joy within the process mm. um, of of creating a life. And actually, Brene Brown talks about this, creating a life that we don't need a break from because if you're working in a sleep deficit, in exhaustion, in overwhelm all the time, what's the quality of your work? Yeah. What is the work that you're creating? Are you prepared to put out your work at 60% of what it could be because, oh, oh it's okay, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Or, you know, I'll take a break when I'm qualified, when I achieve this, when I have the money. Or are you going to work at 100% by 
building in creativity, rest, play, all of these things that we actually need to live full lives and actually it applies to our work as well. So what are the some what are some of the things that you would say are kind of indicators to help you recognize that maybe what you're experiencing is going a bit beyond just normal life, everyday stress and is teetering into that kind of burnout phase. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's a spectrum. And the first thing to say is stress in and of itself is not a bad thing. We need stress. We like stress. Let's be honest. We're a little bit sick puppies like that. Um, <laughs> we like the stress. We like the push. The issue is when it becomes chronic stress. And the definition of burnout is chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Um, The World Health Organization has a definition now of burnout, which is a bit more meaningful than what they had previously, which was a state of vital exhaustion, which is (laughs) ridiculous. Um, But what they say is, there's three parts to it. So chronic exhaustion or depletion, negativity or cynicism towards your work or increased mental distance. I'll tell you what that means in a sec. And um, reduced professional efficacy. So essentially, I'm exhausted. I either hate my job or I just can't focus on it, I'm not feeling the love for it, and as a result, I'm not producing either quality or quantity at the rate I should be. That sounds all very extreme, but then when you row it back a little bit and say, okay, so what does that look like? So chronic exhaustion or depletion, that means, for example, that you need two or three coffees to get going every morning. It means that you wake up and you feel a bit tired as opposed to feeling refreshed. This becomes habitualized. So most people don't even realize this is happening. And I use examples when I do corporate trainings of saying, you know, before I, when I was working um, at one firm in particular, I had a three hour round trip commute each day. So that meant if I didn't do overtime or have any events, I left at 7.15, I got home at 7.15. It was a bit of a Doctor Who moment. Like I was traveling through time. It's the same time, where am I? Um, but in order to do that, I would get up at six, I would have a double shot Americano, I would have a second one before I left the house, I would be knocking on the door of Starbucks to get a skin venti hazelnut latte with an extra shot. So that was <laughs> two, four, eight shots of coffee before 9am. And then I'd have coffee throughout the day, I'd be the one making coffees every hour, I'd have a Diet Coke with lunch. That, right there, is very clearly, I'm exhausted, yeah. I'm having to use caffeine to keep me going. But I say that in a corporate lunch and learn training and everybody's sitting there with their cans of Diet Coke or their coffees in hand. <laughs> and they shrink. Everyone's looking around the room going... Like, oh, wow, this is me. <laughs> yeah. How does yeah. she know? I'm on number 10, what about you? She's called I, it. <laughs> however, when you're exhausted, your brain runs on simple carbohydrates. So that's why you start craving sweet foods. It's why we get cravings for sweet and fat when we have hangovers. It's the same feeling, actually. If you're used to having a hangover and you're feeling that without the drink that's probably a problem um but it's also things like just struggling to get the work done feeling that no matter what you do it's never good enough you've not achieved um that you have to work harder in order to prove yourself and then it feels more difficult so you work even harder again and you've got this constant cycle of exhaustion and overwork but the real kicker is the negativity and cynicism it's when you get to a point and most people probably listening to this won't understand this yet because they've had it maybe around exam time, but they haven't worked quite long enough yet to get to the point where when a client opens their mouth and says something, they internally roll their eyes at it. Um, And that's what I used to do. People would come in and say, you know, it's a contentious probate issue. I've got long-standing family problems. Um, The estate's worth half a million. But it's not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. 
And actually, for a lot of them, it wasn't. It was a long-standing, intergenerational, dysfunctional dispute that had arisen, and actually, they were just trying to maintain their safety and security within it. The moment I started rolling my eyes at that is when I realised I had a problem. Mm. So one of the things that we were talking about in our kind of call before this episode was how to learn to say um, say no. And actually, after we had that call, it played on my mind a lot because I'm aware um, that I will be like starting my legal journey soon and this is something I need to be mindful of. So actually, when I was doing um, a vacation scheme recently, it is a question that I asked quite a few people that I came into contact with at the firm. I said, how, how as a trainee would you want me to say no or how would you want me to deal with like prioritising my work and telling you about my capacity and things like that? And actually the, the response was really um, encouraging, which was like quite persuasive for me because, yeah, following on from that conversation, it was something that I was really, really conscious of but had never thought about before. And I was surprised actually that their response, just even when I asked the question, made it sound like I would be listened to, which was quite nice to hear. It's really important. And I'm so glad that you asked that question at a vacation scheme level because it's not a new issue for lawyers. We know about this. We know that lawyers, um, anybody who, if you manage to get through A-levels, a degree and a postgrad, you are probably a high achieving perfectionist type A personality because you don't get through that without that. Um, but it's not a new issue for us. We know that lawyers are perfectionists. We know that we tend to overpromise and then really struggle if we have to under deliver because we've overpromised. The incidence of mental health issues in lawyers is exponential. The um, the Junior Lawyers Division Wellbeing Survey at the end of 2019 found that 93% of junior lawyers had experienced stress in the previous month, and I think it was ten, it was less than 20%, more than 10%, had experienced suicidal thoughts as a result of their stress. This is a big problem and we know it. Um, and so any firm that is worth their salt is engaging with this and is discussing about how from the earliest levels we need to set boundaries around these things. We need to understand what boundaries are, first and foremost, um, and how to move forward. So it is obviously conditioned within us to seek approval because when you're in a training contract, it's essentially a two-year kind of job interview as well as learning and growing. But the one thing that it comes back to you with me is remembering the kind of person that you want to be and the kind of professional you want to be. Do you want to be somebody who will always clear up after everybody else and clear up the messes and do the office housework rather than doing the things that actually get you attention, that get you noticed, that feel good, feel like they stretch you? And if you have that vision in mind of who you want to be, there is always this question of how would they deal with it? How would the lawyer I want to become or the professional I want to become deal with being given 12 things at once and knowing I can't do them all? I personally struggle to trust lawyers who will just say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it and work until 2am because I know they're not doing their best work. So with that in mind, I have to say, well, what would the best, most resilient, most professional version of me do? She would say, I've been given 12 things and somebody needs to give me either some clarity and direction or delegate it on. It is conditioned within us, it is difficult. However, 
it has to be done. And it is a, a muscle that you learn <laughs> to exercise quite quickly. Um, because the fact of the matter is with law, the job is never done, the work is never over. So um, creating this kind of opportunity where you can ask questions, where you can ask for direction priorities, absolutely necessary. And to remember that if you're in this for the long haul, which hopefully most of us are, because um, law does not pay enough to just cash out after a few minutes, um, it means that you have to make sure that you are in a space where you can do your best work over that period of time. I agree with what you're saying, Leah. I feel like um, myself, I definitely fit into the category of, well, first of all, I like to be busy, but I also like to say yes to stuff to please people, but in the same sense that just doesn't have anything, any benefit for me. So I'm running around like a headless (laughs) chicken with no benefit for me in the background. So I feel that's something definitely, maybe not necessarily perfectionist, but also at the same time, I like be able to say yes and please and be able to do everything is something that I need to sort of sort out. But how would you suggest um, for uni students to recognise these signs like at uni? So the first thing is obviously listening to things like this, you suddenly, (laughs) you have a moment of, oh God, reflection. Um, So this is the first thing, listen to this. Um, But it is a case of becoming aware of these people-pleasing tendencies, these overachieving tendencies, and then being able to take a step back. So developing a time and a space and a practice of self-reflection so that you are not simply reacting to everything, but you are actually looking at what's going on and saying, is this of benefit to the higher version of me? Is this of benefit to where I want to be? And if I can't see why, either because I enjoy it or because it's building blocks, if I'm just doing things out of fear of not doing enough or fear of not having enough things on my CV or whatever it might be, generally, if you're acting out of fear, it's probably a bad thing. Um, But if I am acting out of fear, why is that? What is the fear? And what can I do to deal with that that doesn't involve hopelessly overachieving and creating this pattern of behaviour within myself where all people please and just continually overgive and not consider my own self within it. Well thank you so much for coming on to speak to us today Leah. It's been really, really great to chat to you. I mean to be honest this conversation and our last (laughs) have been slightly confronting because some of the things you say I really recognise in myself. But hopefully like I said, with the vacation scheme and asking those types of questions is a step in the right direction. And I hope anyone listening, you might come away from this feeling a bit like, oh God, I can really see those signs in myself, but hopefully you might feel a bit more equipped now to deal with them. Thank you so much to Leah for taking the time to come and speak to us today. University in itself can be really draining at times, but the world of work often presents a different kind of hard, and it's important that we recognise that there will be an adjustment. Knowing what to look out for and how to set your own boundaries are going to be some of the most useful tools in ensuring you have a good relationship with your mind and mental health. As Leah said at the start of the episode, she's doing a lot of work with law firms at the moment, and this is really something that's on the agenda. So if you are concerned about something, try to take positive steps to address it with your firm and take the time to reflect on your own priorities and boundaries.